Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. During the 1970s, tension was extremely high in the United States of America as we were engaged in what has now become infamously known as the Cold War with the nation of Russia. In the 1970s, the threat of nuclear war was at an all-time high. In response to the threat of nuclear war and in response to the Cold War with Russia, the United States Department of Defense invested billions of dollars in a global positioning system that would allow us to better navigate our submarines. This was an important strategy because precise navigation of these submarines would enable the United States to get an accurate fix of their positions prior to the launch of what was called ballistic missiles. In 1983, President Ronald Reagan issued an announcement that this system that the United States government had invested billions of dollars in would be made available to every civilian in the United States for personal use. It is called GPS. So now, you can take your smartphone, you can open up your Maps app, and you can type in the word pizza. (laughs) And when you type in the word pizza, all these little red dots start filling in on your map. And you can tap any one of them, and turn by turn your smartphone will take you to the closest available hot pizza that you could desire. I don't don't know about you, but I think it might be the best $12 billion the United States government has ever spent. I wonder sometimes, how did we ever get anywhere? Without GPS. I mean, what did we, you know, 
What did we do? I mean, now we get in the car, first thing we do, we punch in the address, turn by turn, somebody, we don't even have to think anymore. Somebody says, here's where you turn, right? Here's where you turn next. It's, I don't know what we did before GPS. I mean, I know we used to go, some of you remember the old Rand McNally naps, maps we used to keep under the seat of the car, you know, all that kind of stuff. But some of you are young and you're going, Rand McNally maps, what is he talking about? Or you remember before you'd go on a trip, you'd always go to AAA and have them print it out for you, you know, yeah. Some of, them are, yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. My least favorite thing, my least favorite thing to hear Siri say, when you've punched it in and you're on your way to that destination that you so desire to get to, the worst thing I hate to hear her say is this little word, recalculating. Because you know what that is, right? That's Apple code. It's Apple code to say in a very nice way, Hey, idiot! You are driving in completely the opposite direction. And if you don't turn around, that's why she follows up recalculating with, As soon as it is legal, would you make a U-turn, right? Hey, idiot, would you turn this car around? You're headed in the wrong direction. You know, here's the thing about destinations. You will never arrive at your desired destination if you are going the wrong way. No matter how determined, dads, husbands, we can be, you're never going to get where you want to go if you're traveling in the wrong direction. Same thing is true spiritually. Christianity is very much in line with that navigational truth. And I'm afraid today as we sit here and as we gather in churches all across North America on a Sunday like this, that there are untold thousands if not millions of people who have started out heading in the wrong direction. And no matter how sincere they may be, no matter how properly motivated they may be, they are never going to arrive at their desired destination. Last weekend we began a series. A series that at Hope we call The Life of a Jesus Follower. And we're really taking several weekends together as a family of faith to dig deep into some foundational truths concerning what it looks like to follow Jesus. How do we follow Him? What does it mean to be His follower? And, and we laid out some, some key principles last weekend as we began this together. And I'm going to review them quickly. But, but before I do, let me just say with this series, that we're not just teaching weekend sermons. This is a big part of what we're doing. But we're also asking you to go to a, a weekly small group where you would gather with some other believers. And we've written some material so that you can take the teaching that we're doing in the weekend and you can go deeper in some small groups. And I've already heard this week through text and email from several of you about how God was moving in your small groups as you began to talk about the things that we unpacked last weekend. And 
And then the third piece of the puzzle, not just the weekend services and the small groups, but this daily devotional guy. And I just got to be honest, I, I was one of the ones that helped write this early on when we first did this. Uh, myself and a couple of other pastors, we wrote this. And now over the times that we've done this series, we've rewritten and re-edited this. And Pastor Travis and I, just a month or two ago, went away and we took this entire book and rewrote and, and edited this again. And so having been somebody that's been involved in the process of putting this together, I, I pretty much know what's on the inside of it. But like you, I'm walking through these daily devotionals and I'm just telling you this week, God was just using this little devotional to radically change my life again. Again, just to speak into my heart some of these foundational things to help me recalibrate my life. So let me encourage you. Come to the weekend. I know that you're doing that. But if you're not in a small group and you're not following along with this daily devotional, let me challenge you to do that because it's going to underscore this biblical reality that the life of a Jesus follower is all about what? What did we say last weekend? Relationships. The life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. And last weekend, I unpacked for you these three primary relationships. First of all, following Jesus is about a relationship with God. We use the word abide to really underscore this relationship. Everything else that following Jesus is, is rooted in this principle, that I'm to first and foremost be in a love relationship with God through Jesus Christ, where personally and daily I'm abiding in Christ. Secondly, my relationship with God then spills into a, a word we call connect, my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I have a relationship with God, I now have a relationship with God's family. Because God is my Father, we are are now brothers and sisters in Christ in the same family. So following Jesus is first and foremost about a personal love relationship with God that's daily and intimate and personal, but it spills into a relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just about a relationship with God, even though that's the foundation. It's then fleshed out in fellowship with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's about a third relationship. It's about a relationship with those that don't know God at all. We use the word share, that we are to share in God's mission of taking the message of the gospel to people that don't know God at all, both locally and globally. So following Jesus at its core is about these three things. I want you to say these three words with me. You ready? One, two, three. That is what following Jesus is all about. A love relationship with God that spills into fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and then overflows into relationships with people that don't know God at all. That is the life of a Jesus follower. Now, we've so complicated that with rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs and systems and ceremonies. But at its core... The simplicity of the gospel is a relationship with God. It's a relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ and a relationship with the world. Now, if that's our destination, if that's where we're headed, if that's what we're aiming at, living our lives to follow Jesus through these relationships, where's the best place in the Bible for us to go to make sure we started in the right direction. Well, I think the best place to go is at the beginning of following Jesus. So if you got your Bible, I want you to open it to Mark chapter 3. Now, as you came in today, in the weekly that we gave you, there is a copy of the listening guide. 
If you have your listening guide, hold it up, right? You got your listening guide? If you didn't get one of those as you came in, about every four or five seats uh, in the aisles, in the, in the pocket there is a stack of these listening guides. You can help pass those out to the people on your row. Kind of hold them up, make sure anybody needs one there and help us out. On the listening guide, some, most of the information that I'm going to cover today is there for you to be able to take some notes. These verses are there. We're going to also put them up on the screen. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Let's look at it together. It says, And he went up on a mountain. Now what's happening here is Jesus is about to call his first disciples, the first followers. So he goes up on this mountain. Mark doesn't give us this detail. Luke does, that Jesus prayed all night with the Father. He spent time with the Father before he called these disciples. So he went up on the mountain, and he summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. Now what we're going to do this weekend and next weekend is we're going to dig deep into this principle of abide. We're going to unpack some truths and principles about what our relationship with God is supposed to look like. Then we're going to spend the next few weeks doing the same thing with each of these other two relationships. But this weekend, I want us to focus on our relationship with God. And I want to give you three truths this morning about the life of a Jesus follower. Here's the first one. Being a Jesus follower begins with an invitation. Being a Jesus follower begins with an invitation. We read here in these verses about Jesus calling His first 12 disciples. It's His invitation for them to follow Him. And I want to kind of break that down for you in a a few statements. First of all, Jesus invited them to follow Him. He invited them to follow Him. Look what the text says. The text says in verse 14, or excuse me, in verse 13 at the end, He summoned those whom He Himself wanted. He summoned them. One of the things that's, if you don't know this, the New Testament was largely written in the language of, of what's called Koine or Common Greek. The common Greek language of the day in the first century is what the New Testament was largely written in. And in the Greek language, one of the uniquenesses about that language is that the verbs are just pregnant with meaning. There's so much meaning often packed into, like we read a word like summoned, but that word that we've translated summoned is a a Greek verb that's filled with significant meaning. It's a word that literally means to call or invite to oneself. Now, there is a Greek verb that simply means to call or invite to extend an invitation. But this is that verb with another word compounded with it to kind of make it a layered verb that doesn't just talk about an invitation to someone or something, but it's literally an invitation to oneself. Every aspect of this word stresses that the invitation of Jesus was not to a destination, but to a relationship with a person. 
Jesus invites them to himself. You see, the invitation to follow Jesus is not an invitation to a religion. It's not a, to a system of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations. The invitation to follow Jesus is not an invitation to get involved in church. The invitation to follow Jesus is not simply an invitation to moral activity. The invitation to follow Jesus is not even simply an invitation to go to heaven when you die. Now, going to heaven when you die is an awesome part of the package. Amen? It's a great thing. But what makes heaven heaven is the fact that that's where Jesus is. And when I get to heaven, I'm taking my relationship that I now have by faith to an entire new level where that relationship is no longer by faith. Now that relationship is by sight because the Bible says, I will see him just as he is. You see, the invitation of Jesus is to enjoy a relationship with the God of heaven who made you through the person of Jesus Christ. He invited them to follow Him. But here's the second thing I want you to see. He invited them to follow Him because He loved them. Because He loved them. Look back at verse 13. And He summoned those whom He Himself wanted. He summoned those whom he himself wanted. The word want is a word that means to will or desire or to purpose. Hear this. God invited these men into a relationship with himself because he desired to have a relationship with them. This is the very first followers Jesus ever called. And it said, He invited them to Himself because He wanted them. I want you to hear that. God wanted a relationship with them. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to these 12 men? Here were these men that had grown up Hebrew children. They'd grown up in the Jewish faith. They grew up believing in the promise that God was going to send a Messiah that they were God's people, and that God was going to send a Savior, a Messiah. And they understood from the Old Testament prophecies that when this Messiah came, He was going to be God in the flesh. And so for all of their lives, they had been raised with this story, with this promise that God loves you. God's going to send a Messiah. This Messiah is going to save you. It's going to be God in the flesh. God's going to come, Emmanuel, and dwell among us. And now here they come after years and years and years 
ears of hearing that. They come face to face with Jesus Christ and they discover this is the one they've been talking about. This is the one that they promised was going to come. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. And here's what he says. Hey guys, let me tell you why I've come. I've come to invite you to know me. I've come to invite you into relationship with me. And let me tell you why. I'm doing that because I desire a relationship with you. Wow! How must that have just knocked them back? To realize that the whole plan of redemption, the whole promise of the Messiah, was because God wanted them. You say... Well, that's great about them. <laughs> what about me? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Look what Paul writes. He says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who, say the next word out loud. I've underlined it for you. Say it again. Exact same Greek word, exact same Greek word that is used in Mark chapter 3 verse 13 that is translated there as wanted. He called them to himself because he wanted them. Look what it says. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who, say it out loud again, desires, what does it say next? All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That word, all men, it's a phrase that means every human being. Here's what that means. God's purpose, God's desire is for every human being to be in a loving relationship with himself. God created us so that we can only enjoy life in the context of a relationship with himself. And so God made us to know him. And God's desire for every one of you is that you would have a personal love relationship with himself. Here's what that verse means. God desires a relationship with you even more than you desire a relationship with him. That ought to get somebody excited. Listen, did you hear? God. God. I didn't say some sports hero or some political. God. Who created everything you can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell. God who sits on the throne of the universe. God who always has been and always will be. God who is infinite and beyond anything we can comprehend. God desires a relationship with you even more than you could ever desire a relationship with Him. Wow! And listen, here's why. Because He loves you. God! Listen, I don't know what you came in here carrying today. But hear me very carefully. The whole message of this book is that God loves you. And because He loves you, 
He desires a relationship with you. We don't have time to really talk about it much, but God doesn't love us because we're lovable. And if I can prove that to you, He made this choice to send His Son before you were you. You didn't have a chance to earn it yet. And if you want to get real theological about it, the Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. That means before any you was ever a you. He'd already made a decision to love you. And already in eternity past established a plan to redeem you to himself because God loves you so much, he wants a relationship with you. God loves you. Right where you are, right where you're sitting, exactly who you are, God loves you. But listen, here's where the story of the gospel plays out. You see, the problem is, look at Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. Look at it on the screen. It says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. The word iniquity is one of four Hebrew words for the word sin in the Old Testament. It's a word that means conscious, deliberate wrongdoing. Your iniquities, your sin has made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. And I know what you're thinking. See there, Pastor, I told you. God doesn't love me. Look, my sin. No, God loved us in spite of our sin. Let me show you that. We read a minute ago that God desires all men to be saved. I want you to look at the next verses, 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. Look what it says. For there is one God and one, what's the word? Say it out loud. Mediator. You know what a mediator is, right? A mediator is somebody who comes between two people who are opposed and reconciles them, brings them back together into a what? relationship right something has broken the relationship the mediator comes and reconciles that relationship and puts it back together look at it there's one God and one mediator also between God and men who is it the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all a testimony given at the proper time here's the reality God created you and me to know him and love him and live our lives in fellowship with him more than anything else in your life God desires a relationship with you but because of our sin we were separated from God because God is holy but God loved us so much that he took care of our sin problem and sent his son Jesus as the mediator God separated from humanity Christ came stepped in between them took all of our sin on himself died on a cross rose again from the dead and now Christ lives to reconcile us to God because of Jesus, you and I can be given a relationship with God. Amen. Religion says, you got to do this, 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 this to earn that. Religion says, the only way you ever get a relationship with God is you do all the right things, you don't do all the wrong things, and at the end you just hope that when you stand before God and those scales teeter back and forth as you hold your breath... That God says, well, you did the best you could, just come on in. No, that's not what Christianity says. Christianity says there's nothing we could do. But God did it anyway because He loved us. And He gave His Son. And He's reconciled us back into relationship with Himself. But don't miss this. His invitation had to be accepted. 
Look what it said. Verse 13. It's on your listening guide. He went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. They came. God will not force you into a relationship with himself. He simply invites you into relationship. And I love the fact that this word came here is a word that means to set off on a journey. I love that. Because you see, getting saved is not a decision that happens in a moment and then it's over. Getting saved is step one on a journey that will carry you throughout this life and into all eternity. This relationship has to be accepted. If you miss this, you miss everything. You see, being around Christianity and being a Christian are not the same thing. Do you have a personal relationship with God? I'm not asking if you're doing the right things, not doing the wrong things, been to church, reading your Bible, trying to be a good person. Do you have a relationship with God? And if your response is, well, I'm trying. Do you know God? Well, I'm working on it. Do you know God? Well, I'm, I'm getting better. If you start out that direction, you're never going to arrive at the destination which you desire. Let me show it to you. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Look on the screen. Many will say to me on that day. What day is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the day that's coming at the end of the world. When all that we know as earth and the world comes to an end and eternity begins. That's the day he's talking about. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, (laughs) did we not? prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles you hear it lord didn't we do all the right stuff and can it be could you come up with a list that sounded more spiritual than their list performing miracles casting out demons prophesying i think a lot of people lord did we not go to church every weekend Lord, did we not tithe? Lord, did we not pray? Lord, did we not read our Bible? Lord, did we not try to be good people? Look what it says. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice, get this, lawlessness. Wait, wait, wait. Did you not hear what they were just practicing? How can that be called lawlessness? Any activity that's not Christ in me, out of the overflow of my relationship with Him, is not pleasing to the Father. No matter how spiritual you package it. So before we go any further, I want to stop right here for just a second. 
I'm not done, okay? So don't get excited. We're getting out early. No, I'm not done. I'm about to teach some more. But, but, but I can't move past this without stopping for a moment. Do you know him? The word know that's used here in Matthew 7, same word that's used in John 17, 3. This is eternal life that they may know you. Same word. It implies personal fellowship. Here's what Jesus said. You were doing all that stuff, but you had no relationship with me. See what I mean? You can start doing all this, but, but, but if you miss this, you miss everything. So I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting right now, everybody in the building, just bow your head. Everybody in the building, just bow your head, close your eyes. If you're already a follower of Jesus right now, here's what I'm asking you to do. You start praying for people in this room. Pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God right now. Just pray. If you're here today, here's the question. Do you know God? Do you have a personal relationship? Have you ever come to the place in your life where you've turned from your sin and believed on Jesus? Have you trusted Christ? I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you read your Bible. Listen, all those things have their place. But none of that means anything apart from a relationship with God. Do you know God? Say, how do you come to know God? By faith. You simply accept His invitation. You believe on Jesus. Right where you're sitting, right there in your seat, you can cry out to God. And you can say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you love me. I know that you died and rose again for me. And right now, Jesus, I surrender the control of my life to you. I believe in you. I turn from my sin and I embrace Christ. If you just prayed with me for the very first time and gave your life to Jesus, let me be the first person to say to you, welcome to the family of God. Welcome. Now I want everybody to look this way at me. We're going to get to the end of our service here in just a few minutes. When we do, we're going to stand and sing a song of worship. When we stand and sing that song of worship, some people will be coming to pray, some people will be doing... If you, listen, if you just prayed with me, for the very first time and gave your life to Jesus or you've realized today that's what you want to do when we stand to sing we're going to have some pastors down here at the front here's what I'm asking you to do don't wait on anybody else don't wait listen listen you just accepted the invitation of God don't wait as soon as we stand when we start singing in a few minutes I want you to leave your seat I want you to come right down here to one of these pastors and say I'm giving my life to Jesus. And we have somebody that's going to sit down with you just to get you some information. Because remember what I said, you didn't just make a decision. You just began a journey. And we want to walk with you on this journey. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. All right, let's go on to point number two. Now, these next two are not near as long as that one. But we just had to build that foundation. Listen, if we teach all the rest of it and we miss that, we miss everything. Here's number two. Being a Jesus follower is all about intimacy. Being a Jesus follower is all about intimacy. 
I want to put Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 back on the screen. And you also have it there on your listening guide. Mark chapter 3, 13 and 14. Look up here on the screen, back in our text. Look what it says. And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve. What are the next two words? Say them out loud. That's pretty weak. Say it again. What are the next two words? Now, so that. You say, big deal, right? Why is so that so important? Here's why. Because in the Greek language, these two words are one little word that's kind of like a flashing light. And those two little words, so that, literally mean, here's the reason why. For this purpose. He invited them into a relationship with himself. They responded and came to him. And then the Bible says, He appointed them and set them apart. And here's the reason why. Look at it again. Put the verses back up there. So that they would. Say it out loud. Whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Isn't that supposed to say live for him? He invited them into a relationship with himself. He set them apart so that they could live for him. Isn't that what you hear everybody say? I've given my life to Christ. Now it's my responsibility to live for him. He said, I love you. I brought you into relationship with myself. I've invited you here, and I'm setting you apart. And here's why. So that you can be with me. There's the purpose. To be with him. If you were to ask the average Christian, what's the goal of the Christian life? Most Christians would say something like, To live for God. Have you ever heard anybody say this? It sounds really spiritual. Here's what they say. God's done so much for me. Now I want to do something great for God. Some of you thought, "Mm, I said that this morning. Let me tell you the problem with that statement. It's just wrong. God didn't invite you to do something great for Him. He invites you to be with Him. Some people say, here's the goal. The goal is to obey Him. We're going to talk about this next week. I can't wait. But, but when, you, when, when you start talking about obedience, you know what happens? Obedience becomes the focus of my life. Obedience is never to be the focus of my life. Intimacy with God's to be the focus of my life. Obedience is, how's that working out, trying hard to obey Him? The goal of the Christian life is to be with Him. Jesus didn't say He invited them so they could live for Him. He said so that they would be with Him. Meaning this, following Jesus is not about doing. Following Jesus is about being. 
And when this first hit me, when God began to reveal these truths to me, I'm just telling you, it rocked my world. Let me show you a life-changing principle that God's given me that has just transformed my life, and I hope it brings you the same freedom it brought me. Look at it on the screen. The primary call on my life is not to do something for Jesus. The primary call on my life is to be with Jesus. You know what happens? You know what I hear when I hear that? Freedom! You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you what? Free. Freedom. The primary call on my life is not to do something for Jesus. The primary call on my life is to be with Jesus. Here's what that means. The goal is the relationship. We view the relationship as the starting line. Now we step over that. Okay, now I've got a relationship with God. Now let me move on to step B. No. The goal is the relationship. Remember the verse we looked at last weekend? Let me put it back up on the screen. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Out of that little verse, can I give you the simplest summary of the Christian life that maybe you've ever heard? I want to summarize the entire Christian life for you with two goals. You ready? Goal number one. It's the big picture. It's the overarching goal. Here it is. Goal number one, overall goal is, say it out loud, to know God. That's the big goal. That's the that's the target at the end. That's, that's what I'm aiming at. I, God has invited me into himself to a relationship with him so that I can know God. This is eternal life, that they may know you. There's the big goal, to know God. So then there's a daily goal. Ready for the daily goal? Here it is. To spend time with God. Listen. That's it. That's it. But 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 what about that's it? The overall goal is to know God. So the daily goal is to spend time. With God. Now, now think about this. What's the most difficult thing to practice as a follower of Jesus Christ on a daily basis? <laughs> Spending time alone with God, right? <laughs> why is that? Let me tell you why. The enemy knows the deal. He doesn't care how many hours a week you spend doing as long as you're not being. Because doing that is pleasing to the Father only happens out of the overflow of being. 
The only thing of significance that happens out of my life happens out of the overflow of intimacy with God because apart from Him, I can do nothing. But listen, through Him, Philippians 4 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Intimacy with God is what we've been invited. And we've substituted intimacy with God for everything else under heaven. And that's why Paul said, I pray that you don't get deceived and be led astray from the simplicity and purity of what? Devotion to Jesus. And that leads me to the last thing. Being a Jesus follower overflows in every area of my life. Let me show it to you. Let's put Mark chapter 3 back up on the screen one more time. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Look what he says here. He says, and he went up on a mountain, and he summoned those whom he himself wanted. They came to him, and he appointed twelve, so that they would, say it again, be with him. Remember, this is the very first ones. First ones. They would be with him. And that he could, say it out loud, send them out to preach. Aha! I knew we'd get to the doing part. I knew it was coming. No, you read it wrong. Put it back up there. Put it back up there. Why don't you look at it again? And he appointed 12 so that, say the next word. They. They were to what? Be. Then look at the next phrase. And that he. Notice the they and the he. They were to be with him. He would send them out to preach. The word preach here is a, a word that you, you think of preaching and you think what I'm doing up here on Sunday. But, but the word preach is a word that literally means to make public. Here's what Jesus said. Here's your responsibility. You be with me. And then here's what I'll do. I will make my life public through you, out of the overflow of you just being with me. You just be with me. Clyde Cranford, the man who mentored me, Clyde Cranford said it this way. This is real Christianity. A spontaneous overflow of the life of Christ through us. Christianity is not me living for him. Christianity is him. Listen, Jesus didn't just die for our sin. He rose again from the dead. Why did he rise again? Let me tell you why. Because now he lives. You see, his death's not just my death. His life's now my life. Christ now lives in me and through me out of the overflow of intimate fellowship with him. So let me give it to you in another life-changing principle. I'll put it up on the screen. It's on your listening guide at the bottom of the back page. Everything Jesus desires to do through you, He will accomplish as the overflow of His relationship with you. Get that. Everything He desires to do through you, He'll now do out of the overflow of His relationship with you. Which means, if I want to get in on great things that God wants to do through my life, you know how I do it? Just be with Him. Just be with Him. Let me close with my story, okay? Here's my story. I came to know Jesus as a freshman in college at the University of North Alabama. 
That's where I became a follower of Jesus. That's where I accepted his invitation to be his follower. But for the first decade or so of my Christian life, I didn't understand what I'm teaching you now. I thought Jesus saved me. Now I'm to obey him and live for him and do all the things the Bible says to do. I didn't understand that he didn't expect me to do that. He wanted to do that through me. So for the first decade of my life, I even began to pastor and got in ministry. And I would teach people the gospel that Christ died to forgive you of your sins. And now because we've become Christians, now we're to obey Him. Now we're to live for Him. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that being a follower of Jesus doesn't change the way I live. I'm not saying it doesn't produce obedience in my life. I'm just saying that's not the focus of my life. Then God brought me to a place of real brokenness in my life, in ministry. Where God just broke me down to the point of realizing apart from Him, I could do nothing. And God brought a man into my life that I just quoted named Clyde Cranford. That I'm going to share some more stuff that he taught me last weekend. And Clyde taught me those two goals. Daily overall goal, what is it? To know God. The daily goal, what is it? Spend time with God. And he said, Vance, that's it. That's the whole Christian life. Everything God wants to do through you, He'll do out of the overflow of that. And it really made sense because as I looked at the life of Jesus and the Gospels, that's how he lived. Everything he did, he did out of the overflow of intimacy with the Father. Even to the point that he said this, when you see my works, it's not my works, it's the Father's works in me. He modeled this for us. And so I did what Clyde taught me. I started spending time with God daily. Not because I had to to be a good Christian, but because I want to be with him. And one morning, I'm reading Luke chapter 4, verse 43. And here's what it said. Jesus said this about himself. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Now, if that verse sounds familiar at all, you've heard me quote it. Because that's the verse that God used to call my family to Las Vegas. But here's how it started. I saw something in Jesus in that verse that wasn't in me. A passion for other cities. A passion for the kingdom of God being expanded. I went and got my wife and we got down on our knees and we said, Lord, yes. God, we don't know where. We don't know when. Lord, we don't even know what. But the answer is yes. Two weeks later, God filled in the blank with Las Vegas, Nevada. Now you got to hear me. I'm sitting here today looking out at thousands of people today who are part of a church that God let my family come to Las Vegas and be about, be about starting in our living room 16 years ago. But hear me, hear me, hear me. God was doing this with or without me. And this didn't happen because I got in a room with a whiteboard and said, what great thing can I do for God? Listen, if I'd have done that, I'd have never put Las Vegas on the board. I'm being honest. I didn't even know real people lived here. (laughs) I'd have never put this on the map. How'd I get in on it? Listen, don't miss this. Being with him. I was just with him one morning. And he invited me into this. One of the greatest joys of my life happened out of the overflow. I just being with him one morning. And you know what it's convicted me in my own heart about? How many invitations have I missed? To see God do something. 
beyond my wildest imagination because I thought I was too busy doing something for Him that I didn't have enough time to just be with Him. Following Jesus is all about relationship. It begins with an invitation. It's all about intimacy. Just being with Him. And then everything He desires to do through your life, He'll accomplish out of the overflow of what He's doing in your life.